Okay, Bala, uh, Bala Guru Ravi, uh, thank you for being my third guest on Dead Air with Kumar Medaliar. I know this must be a great honor for you, and you know, congratulations. And um, so, yeah, yeah how are you doing? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm doing. I'm doing good. Doing good on on my day off, and I'm just uh, taking it easy today. And glad I could be talking to you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I really yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I appreciate you um taking the time to do the podcast with me today. Mm-hmm. And um I just had to ask first start off like the most important question before we like, move on, which is like sure. so who's your like of an entire family, who's your favorite cousin? <laughs> yeah. Uh it kinda of put me on the spot there. I guess it depends on who I'm talking to in the moment. So there's only one right day. answer in any moment. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. <laughs> it's your lucky day. It's you for right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know your audience. Yeah, so, subject to change. Um, I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so Bala, so you're my you're my little cousin. You're like what ten years younger than me. Yeah, around about. I think if you round up nine and a half, ten years, yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, it's it's crazy. And so, like when we're growing up, you know, you're like always like a baby, right? Like you're just so young that I like, really probably the first fifteen years of your life really not interact with you. Mm-hmm. You know, as yeah, it's a, funny as a regular person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would probably say that uh, I don't think that's changed. Um, I probably still look like a baby to everybody else around me, yeah. Uh, but I'm good with it. Uh, the attention is there, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Even though you might have a beard, you're still. Um, <laughs> I can, yeah, I can shave it. We can go back in time. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean it's good. Uh, now that I have a younger brother, it's. You would think that the attention would shift, but I guess the whole moniker "baby baller" sticks with you for life. But uh, nothing wrong with yeah. that. Yeah, you're cuter than Bakash, so you're always a baby. <laughs> we'll make sure he listens to this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he'll, uh, gonna, he'll appreciate it. So I'm going to take it way back, you know, and I'm sure, like, I'll mm-hmm. interview your mom and your dad at some point. So, but, yeah. you know, I just want to, like, why don't you tell me, like, what you know about your your dad and your mom, like, you know, their lives before, you know, they got married. And, and yeah, you know, it's, know it's crazy. A lot of it's, um, I tried to talk to him about it, you know, more and more as the days go on. And I always find out something new. But from what I know right now is, you know, I'll, you know, my dad was obviously, as you know, the youngest of, uh, youngest in the family. And so, <laughs> you know, he, he used to live in India and, and, um, after your dad and, you know, our his um, other brother came to the U.S. Um, they they told him, "Hey, you can come to the U.S. and it's an option for you here." And so, you know, he told me he didn't really have, you know, much um, consideration into what he wanted to do. So he took the opportunity and came over. And I think it was maybe the early '80s, if I'm not mistaken. And since then, um, I will say that there was. You know, he was he's pretty much taken care of by his older brothers, but I mean, at the same time trying to find his own footing here, in, specifically in Texas. And um, I think he was here for a solid five to six years before 
and I think he was doing all odd jobs of all kinds. Um, I think at one point he said he worked for the uh, um, for the Apple computer assembly line, and he worked in a couple of buildings in downtown Dallas. And it, it seems like he was trying to hold maybe three or four jobs at a time, and it was pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, he met he met my mom. I think about 86, 85, 86, and then went back to India, got married, and then came yeah. came with her about a year later, and then um, settled in Dallas, you know, found found a couple more odd jobs here and there to kind of make ends meet, but uh, we had a lot of family in the area, and specifically you guys and uh, our other cousins, to kind of, you know, situate ourselves and make a home, and I think, you know, then I came around in 89, and from then on, you know, the the rest is history, right? But uh, it seems like you know, mom and dad both had their own hardships coming to the coming to this di- this side of the world. And um, after yeah. a while, though, I think they kind of you know figured out what they needed to do. And and uh, I think a really big important part of, part of it was family and and just trying to identify with people around them in the community to keep going. But uh, if you ask mm-hmm. if you ask um, mom and dad later on, I'm sure they'll give you a different answer every time, and you'll find out something new. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I remember my some of my early summers. So I had like memories of your dad, definitely like mm-hmm. four year born. Like someone I was like really young, like four or five years old. So he'd be he'd come over to our house, and I still remember him. Like we'd like, I think I look forward to come coming over, and then we'd like end mm-hmm. up sleeping in the same bed together, and like that was like <laughs> one of my earliest memories. You know, I was like, oh yeah, yeah that's awesome. Bob. You know, and he's just like another set of parents. Yeah, and mm-hmm. him and my dad would play like Atari pole position, and they really—I <laughs> think they were pretty. Like, I remember them being pretty. Like, uh, felt, I mean, they just, they just wanted to play. They wouldn't let me play so much. You just had to watch them. <laughs> they, uh, <I> don't <laughs> they needed they needed an audience member. It sounds like. Yeah, I had I just became an audience member. They won't let me let me do anything. Mhm. Um, where was uh where was Valen in all this? Valen was around. I, yeah, Valen. Um. Mhm. Yeah, we were such little kids. I mean, uh, but you'd be around that. So that was our first house. I'm talking about which we lived in until I was like six years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I, my memories are very hazy. I can't remember things too clearly. Um, you don't have a photographic memory. What is this? Yeah, <laughs> no <laughs> photographic memory. It's all uh, barely can remember last year nowadays. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the what? Yeah, yeah. Valen's around, um, and we'd be playing in the backyard and stuff. So. Yeah, I um tried to watch like when I was growing up I remember watching some family video of like you know all of you guys growing up as toddlers and you know obviously I wasn't part of the picture yet but it was funny cuz um they would host a lot of birthday parties and like it was always like they were the second set of parents to all of you guys whenever you know uncle and auntie were at work or doing their own thing so it's always nice to see that and then when we came in and into the picture it was like oh yeah let's just expand the family you know um, but yeah, that was always nice to have that from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, we're always like around very close for a long mm-hmm. time. And yeah, I still remember yeah. like when your mom and dad 
uh, first, you know, just got married and remember seeing them at, you know, Valen's house in Carrollton. Great. Um, wow, yeah. A long time ago. Like, I was like eight or nine, eight years old. Mm-hmm. And, um, so like, where were you born? Like, which, which, uh, city were you born in? So I was born in the great city of Dallas, Texas. Go Cowboys. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Is that what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, grew up there for the first, I think, three or four years of my life. And then um, um, mom found a job opportunity in Louisiana, uh, in Shreveport, I think around 93, 94. And so we packed up all our stuff and we drove to Shreveport, Louisiana. And that's uh-huh. essentially where where uh, Big Gosh was born. Um, um, around 95. And, uh-huh. um, since then we've been, we were there for like, I think about another five years before, um, my mom, you know, mom found another job opportunity in Houston. I think it was maybe 98, 99. And then we kind of moved, moved back into Texas. Um, so yeah. So I wait, been, um, mm-hmm. so you were there for how, how old were you when we moved from Freeport back to Texas? So I was around, I think it was like eight or nine years old, something like that, yeah. Because Vikash was a baby, and he was like two or three, and um, that's when she got the job offer, and we kind of picked up all our stuff and said, okay, let's go back to Texas. We found a, another opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was that was that was fun. I remember all those times moving, and we went from apartment to apartment, and um, before we finally found a house that was kind of close to her uh, workplace and school and all these things, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, so you're I felt like in we Shreveport were in or in Houston. Oh, in Shreveport and in, in Houston. Um, uh-huh. I think, yeah, I, I consider myself to be a nomad in that respect. I went from school to school so often that like, even I would be in one school for a year and then go to, uh, go to the neighboring school for another year. Um, so you had to be pretty, you know, adaptable and make a lot of friends quickly. But, um, it was a good learning experience and, uh, yeah, it's just kind of crazy to reflect back on all that stuff at this point. So, like, when you're – what? how did you like Shreveport? So, yeah, Shreveport, you know, from I guess from when I was a kid, um, I felt like in some communities I was, like, the only Indian person there. <laughs> mm. um, but they did have do a remember, growing – Do you remember that? Do you remember, like, being like, oh, I'm Indian? Oh, yeah. Do you have that memory? Oh, you do? Definitely, okay. definitely. Elementary school, I was like, I think first, second grade. I think I was like one of two or three Indian kids in the whole school. Um, and I, I uh-huh. you know, growing up at the time, I didn't think much of it. But I mean, looking back at it, I saw the the cultural disparity in a way. Um, the, the lucky thing for us is in Shreveport, there was uh, enough of a uh, Indian community that was, I think, growing. And we would, you know, make make closer friends through that through that community by going to the temple or spending time, you know, uh doing cultural activities on the weekends. Um and uh-huh. I, I do remember that pretty clearly and like that's how my parents kinda got a I would say a foothold in the community and um were able to kinda treat it as like a second home away from Dallas right. and then eventually Houston. Um yeah, it was a it was a good experience and um you know obviously the gosh was born there and I still remember mm-hmm. going to the hospital and and uh, my dad picked me up from kindergarten, and we went and um, had to go to the uh, hospital and pick him up. And I was like, oh, wow, I have a younger brother now. This is crazy, you know. 
Um, and yeah. I was old enough to remember that because I was about, let's say, six years old. Um, uh-huh. So that day still still is pretty fresh in my mind. But, you know, and then once he grew up a little bit and we moved to Houston, um, we were able to at was least. Was that a, ha- you know, was that a happy day for you? Oh, yeah, that was crazy. I mean, I remember, like, I remember the teacher was, like, Miss Harris, and we were, she was actually having all the kids sitting in the the reading area, and she had the classroom door open, and she was reading us this, I forgot what book it was, but obviously some kid's book, and um, my dad walked, you know, through the through the door, and he goes, and I, when I looked at him, I knew what that meant. That meant, oh, yeah, I'm his brother, he's born, you know? So that was, oh, like, really? so cool. And, <laughs> you realized yeah, that yeah, yeah, at that time? Yeah, yeah, it was like he was giving me like a heads up like the days leading up to it. He's like, any day now, you know? Uh-huh. So when uh-huh. he walked in, it was like, oh, it's my time to go. <laughs> so yeah. that was that was pretty cool. And then and then he uh, we went there, and I remember holding him in my arms. He had like this, I think it was like a yellow blanket wrapped around. He was so tiny, you know? It was crazy to think about mm-hmm. now. But, um, yeah, definitely an, uh, a good memory etched etched in my head. Did you take care of Akasha a lot as he was a little kid? Um, I would like to, I guess, say that maybe I carried my own Were weight. Second, second, <laughs> second father to him. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a stretch. But um, if you ask uh, mom and dad, they'd probably give you a different answer. But I will say, like, whenever you know, it was just us two, like, hanging out. You know, it'd be easy to to have company in and keep them engaged when you know mom and dad were doing their own thing or or they needed to do something around the house and they couldn't just carry them all the time. So they're like, Bala, why don't you, you know, why don't you, you know, babysit him and take care of him and stuff. And yeah, I think, I think in the grand scheme of things, it all turned out great. And I did spend, you know, quality time with him. And growing up, we developed a pretty close relationship. And obviously, I think it continues to this day. So all, yeah, all in so all, like, good things. All, we always thought, like, I always thought, like, uh, you guys were always really nice to each other. Like, that's what I felt. Like, you guys were, not like <laughs> me and Uma would, would, like, fight a lot. You know, yeah. like it's, or Valen, definitely like Valen Sendel who would fight a lot. But you guys <laughs> yeah. always seemed like really nice to each other. Is that like an accurate perception? Um, yeah, I think so. I, I I would say the main probably reason is because um, I, I don't know the six year age gap kind of helps in that regard because I don't mm. treat him as um, I, obviously the sibling, but it's 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 a uh, it's long enough where you. You're like he's you know he's part of the family and he's like the young one. You have to take care of him. And um, mm. there obviously there was there was times when we would argue with each other and wouldn't really get into physical fights or anything. But um, times in in the household where you know you don't want to talk to each other for a few days or whatever. But all in all, we always came back and um, yeah, I would agree with your assessment. Overall, it was, it was uh, cordial and we didn't really um, get into too many fights. I mean, obviously compared to you guys. Um, it was a different different beast. <laughs> I have, I have but, battle uh, scars still. I have scars yeah. on my arm. <laughs> yeah, I know it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I think what what you said was probably accurate. So you moved to Texas, probably ranked like mm-hmm. second or third grade, and you moved to Houston. That's right. Yeah. Away. Yeah, fourth and, uh, grade, elementary school. Yeah. How, did you keep in touch with any of your friends from Shreveport? You know, it's uh, it's crazy. I did for a few years, um, and um, it, you know, just because of the distance, you know, as time kind of kept going on, that kind of went away day by day. 
Um, and we didn't have social media then, you know, and obviously didn't have cell phones. And I think the way to communicate was really by, like, mail. And we really didn't do much of that after a while. Um, so eventually after moving to Houston, the communication kind of died down. But, you know, Facebook came up and then all the social media stuff came up. And so we were able to reconnect through those uh, platforms. And um, it's just kind of like a cordial thing now. It's not like, you know, we talk to them uh, every so often, but uh, at least keeping it some sort of connection. And, you know, that that, that still persists to this day, actually. Um, but, yeah, I know we were kids, and I was there for just three to four years, but it was long enough to make an impression and um, mm. carry some friendships forward and at least, you know, maintain some contact with people that, you know, grow, you grew up with. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, how was it moving to um, Texas? Was a hard transition? Uh, not really, just because um, at that point I, I was I'm used to like moving around, you know, as far as making new friends and and getting adapted to a, a new location. Even in Shreveport, we were moving from place to place, so it wasn't like we were always in the same spot. Um, mm. But in the grand scheme of things, like, it was just another move in my head, you know. It's like, oh, okay, we're – in the way that I looked at it, it was like, oh, we're going back to basically the state where I grew up and was born in. And um, mm-hmm. would technically, in, in a way, be closer to, you know, you guys and family as far as driving up just one road instead of having to go and cross the border, you know. Um, but I, I guess in that regard, it really was just another move for me. And eventually, you know, when you're a kid, you can adapt pretty quickly. And after a few years, you're just kind of like, oh, okay, this is my new home now. And it kind of got to that point. And for Vikash, you know, he was a baby when he moved. So after going to Houston, like, that was his home from the beginning. Like, mm. if you ask him about Shreveport, he'll be like, yeah, I don't really have that many memories, you know. Mm. And so, so yeah, it's a different it's a different ball game, but uh, it wasn't that hard, to be honest with you. Maybe if you asked the eight-year-old kid in me, I would have been like, God, I just wish I could stay in one place for more than two years. <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, but you know it all works out in the end. What school did you go to, like when you went there uh, in Houston? Yeah, uh, Brazos Bend Elementary. Uh, I think it was a bullfrog or something like that. I forgot the mascot. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, for fourth and fifth grade, and then then obviously uh-huh. we graduated out of elementary school, and um, there was a middle school called. Garcia Middle School for a year before they built a uh-huh. brand new one, and then I went from sixth grade to a different school in seventh and eighth, and then uh-huh. um, after eighth grade they had uh, the, the, there's this local high school that we were obviously zoned to going to because of our location, and that was uh, Stephen F. Austin High School in Sugarland, and uh, uh-huh. luckily for me I think that was the longest time I had stayed in one school it was for four straight years I just from nine through twelve. Um, kind of kind of hung out there and uh made you know a lot of a uh, few high school friends there too and then um uh, you know we carried on to college and then from then on we still mm-hmm. maintained some friendships from that after that you know um yeah and looking back at it, it's crazy how quickly time time really just went by but uh yeah yeah got all the yearbooks still hanging in my closet somewhere i'm sure uh I'm, my mom can show it to you <laughs> So do you go? Yeah. Uh, so what were you most likely to in your yearbooks? 
they had like you know Bala. Yeah, I remember or, that. Uh, I don't think I was on that page. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't you you cool enough for that page. Yeah, I was one of the uh, like, guys that flew under the radar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that page. The most likely to succeed and all this. You know, it's funny though. I think you can make an accurate judgment ten years out and say that I don't think any of those things panned out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's always different, but uh, yeah, I was one of the guys that flew under the radar for sure. So, like, uh, what activities were you involved in in high school? Yeah, you know, high school. I remember they offered like more um, options than middle school did, and. I remember having a conversation with my mom, I think a week leading up to the first day of high school, and she was like, well, you know, why don't you try something different? And then she showed me, like, a couple of brochures. They had, obviously, the orchestra and the tennis um, uh, sport, and then they had uh, ROTC. And I was like, oh, you know, actually, you know, I feel like a lot of Indian people in general, like, go into certain, uh, you know, musical aspects where they go to play tennis or whatever. But I didn't see a lot of, like, you know, people that look like me going to ROTC, and I thought this would be a unique opportunity to check out what they had, and um, I kind of that was kind of the driving force. I was just kind of curious, you know, and so mm-hmm. I did that for about three and a half years. Um, I made a few time. friends. Yeah, yeah, three and a half years, and made friends through the through the uh, ROTC, and got to meet people from different backgrounds and their their own stories, and um, it was more of a branching out for me, you know. We were always growing up in a kind of a sheltered community. So that was really interesting. But um so what is yeah, the you know, exactly? Um it's uh, so it's like it's the junior naval reserve officer training corps. It's kinda like it's kinda like um well we they have the cadets in the company and they um basically just kind of prep them for military life if that's the option that they want to go into. Um there's mm-hmm. no like contract or anything where you have to once you graduate high school, but it's like an accelerated pathway for um, for students that are interested in going into the, into the military. Um, I think if you graduate from like a certain rank, you can, uh, skip a few ranks by the time you join and, um, get up to a higher pay grade. But I think majority of the students that were in the, the company, um, were really serious about going into the military. And then there were those of us that just wanted to see what it was like, you know, and that was me. Um, and I, I do knew, know a few of them. Not not really closely, but through associations and mutual friends that have gone on to the Army, Navy, and Air Force and things like that. Um, mm. So it's pretty cool. And, you know, we're all Facebook friends, and we still maintain some sort of uh, communication. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think that was an opportunity I would have would have taken if I hadn't, uh, you know, talked to my mom about it and found out a little bit more about it before jumping in. Very interesting, what though. Was guy, what would you guys do? Like, what, was, yeah, what did you do as part of that? Um, so, like, they had these, uh, weekly inspections where you had to wear your uniform and, like, um, you know, have your, uh, haircut trimly and bring your, like, shiny shoes and, um, that was, it was called Thursday inspection and, like, every, every, and it, you have to wear it to whichever class you went to. Um, so, like, people would know. go to school like that? Yeah, yeah, the whole day. And, like, so uh-huh. you can go to English class, you know, art class, whatever, and everyone would be like, oh, yeah, he's a... He's an ROTC kind of thing. And then, you know, they would grade you on it to see how, like, clean your uniform was, like, how many inches away from, like, the top of your pocket the badges were. Like, it was really intense. Um, I guess relatively intense in the high school setting. 
Um, and then they always offered like these uh, drill meets where you could join different groups. Um, that was like marching or like, you know, uh, twirling the, uh, the gun around or, um, academic teams where you'd have to do like military, uh, academic tests and compete with other, um, companies from different schools. And so they would take us on bus trips around the state of Texas and we would go in and compete with other ROTC schools and, uh, you know, place in the first to three first, second, third place, take trophies home, and that was kind of the way... What, what were the competitions? Go. Like, what were you, like, what would be, like, yeah, how would you compete? What would be, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had, um, so, like, the drill meet, like, they would have, like, marching competitions where, like, they would have to see, you know, uh, which platoon was, like, you know, in sync with each other the most, and they, they have, like, their own little scoring sheets, and they would say, like, oh, like, these guys did a lot better than those guys, and and um and then they would place you based on how you know synchronized you guys were how like you know everyone looked together um so that mm-hmm. was one thing and then they also had the drill meets where you had to like um you know how they have the rifles and you have to twirl the rifles and again it always came down to looking in sync with one another and um seeing uh-huh. how crisp and like clear the uh instructions were and it just had to look really good visually um for the judges and so they would judge you based on that and then um, do you remember, like, at any sporting event, like, in front of a football game or basketball game, you know how they have the color guard that has to present the colors for the national anthem? Yeah. So those those four – there's four people, the two people, the flag bearers, and the two rifle bearers on the side. Like, that itself – so that was a color guard, right? And they would um, – th- that was a competition in itself where they would have to come out, walk into the middle of, like, a uh, platform, and then present the colors – and like doing that whole procedure was was being judged by a panel of judges, and so that was another competition that they would have to see how well you know we did it compared to different schools. Um, you know, being the Indian kid, you know, I was kind of like, eh, I don't feel comfortable doing all those things. So I was like, maybe I'll just join the academic <laughs> competition. So what I ended why up doing was being, why, what did being why did being Indian like. What was it about being Indian that you didn't feel comfortable with that? I don't know. I think it was just like, you know, we have this, I I think I personally had this stigma about myself, like being Asian American, that maybe I should go into the the academic setting rather than try new things, at least at that age. And so I kind of subjugated myself into that circle. And um, I started reading up on like naval history and like, um, and I felt like, oh yeah, this would be socially acceptable um to go to the competitions and you know take these academic tests and like uh, then i you know i feel like i'd still be part of the team maybe it's you uh-huh. know in the grand scheme of things looking back it was kind of like a little bit of warped mentality but uh i i guess i wasn't ready to make that next step at least that point in my life well, but um, you looking that? back you did know you do the quiz bowls or did you just do the other things like the rifle yeah, yeah i only did the academic competitions really and i only went to like a few of those drill meets and as a as a whole group, you have to do the um, the marching ones together. So that was kind of a full group thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I pretty much was like, let me just stay on this side of the fence kind of thing and see what happens, and kind of just enjoy the the group success with everybody else um, when they finish their competition. Um, but obviously, things have changed since then. But it was a good learning curve, learning process overall. Um, but yeah, definitely. Uh, Definitely a good time. Were you good at you know? twirling, twirling a rifle? <laughs> I don't think I had the upper body strength to twirl a rifle. <laughs> really? You had I to remember, be strong to do that? 
I, I think so, at least to a certain extent, because I remember when I first started, I couldn't do a push-up to save my life. Like, at least you had to do, you know, you had to be at least a little physically fit in order to even uh, pass the PT test that they offered once every other week. Um, yeah. And, like, so it was like a, I came home, and I remember trying to do one push-up. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't <laughs> I'm so pathetic. <laughs> um, Did you but that, cry? That yeah, you're like, I suck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a small phase like, I mean, I got to keep doing this, and you know, I didn't really get <laughs> you kept on going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, and then were you like, able to like do the ten foot? Were you able to get the ball into a basketball hoop at that time? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thankfully, yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was able to at least carry something. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, over the course of those three years, I was able to at least build up, you know, push ups, sit ups, do at least enough to pass the PT test, and then and then keep going forward. Um, but, yeah, man, it's a lot of, like, mental and physical growth that came along with it. Um, you know, it was just a good experience all around, you know? It's a long time, three and a half years. You did it all, like, basically all throughout high school. Yeah, yeah. I uh, The last semester I was like, I'd ra- I do want to graduate and still have some long hair. So <laughs> it's kind of what it was like, okay, I, I want, you know, I had my college and everything kind of squared away. And so I figured, you know, three and a half years is long enough. So I kind of let it go after the last semester of high school. Well, how long was it? Um, the longest that you had it? Oh, I brought it down to my, I think the lower part of my neck. It looked kind of weird. And then my what? mind was like, this. No yeah, way. This I don't, why do I not remember this at all? It was very quick. And then I had it, I'm a, you know, mom, she had me to cut it off pretty quickly. You have a picture <laughs> like, of this? Uh, she might. I don't think I have anything in my current location to, to provide for you, but if you ask I need them, to. you'll have something. <laughs> yeah, it was nothing that Vikash can pull off. Vikash, you know how he can bring his hair all the way down if he really wanted to, but I can yeah. only bring it down to like, before it starts sticking out and I look like a homeless guy. So I needed to clean it up a little bit. You have straight hair, uh, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, there's yeah. no curly here. How did you guys get uh, straight hair? Like, you guys are like abnormal Indians. Like <laughs> the rest of us all have like really curly hair, and you guys have like. I guess we gotta. Hair. We gotta go up the gene pool and find out who was that one person that oh, carried it over. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should go think that person instead. Your dad doesn't have straight hair, does he? He has curly hair, right? Yeah, he's got curly hair. I think it's somewhere in my mom's line of uh, family members that that's probably where we got it from. Yeah. You know, but, um, yeah, it's nice to at least grow it out a little bit because those are pretty uh, strict regulations they used to have. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't want to have to keep it cutting it this close to my did get a, scalp. Did you get a buzz cut <laughs> all the time or what? Pretty much, What's yeah. Like, pretty oh, really? Much. Yeah. And, you know, I was already a skinny little Indian kid, so, like, having, a, having like, minimal hair, it looked like I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, let What's me at least have this, you? you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, happy times, man, to look back at. That was a good time so. for you, the ROTC. In high, yeah, in yeah, I'm glad I did it, dude. Mm-hmm. How's, so how was high school overall for you, like elementary and high school? Was it a fun time? What would, um, you, guys, what would you do for fun then, then? Like, what would you do on the weekends and stuff? <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know me, Corn. I was more of a homebody. I mean, I would hang out with my friends and go out and watch movies or eat out at restaurants when I became like a junior and senior. I was actually able to drive. 
Um, yeah. But, you know, up until then, I was really a homebody, to be honest with you. I, I actually preferred spending time with my brother and um, spending time with mom and dad and just, like, helping around the house or watching, you know, movies together, playing video games or just spending just spending quality family time. I think that was that was the way I kind of carried myself. And then finally, when I was able to pass my driver's test and, like, go and do all these things, um, you know, it, it was a different uh, – it was a different way to like experience things. My mom would be like, "You need to be home by nine and 10. I'm like, "Are you serious? Let me, let me at least go hang out with my friends and stuff." Um, and so I, I started doing that. I mean, but it wasn't to the amount that you know you'd expect, like uh, you know, going and hanging out with everybody every weekend. But I would, I would go for so dinner, have, come uh, home, and then just spend it easy. Yeah. So you wouldn't be going to raging keggers or anything back then? <laughs> yeah, I wish. No, not really. I wasn't that kind of person. <laughs> You're not gonna tell us on the on air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I know my audience. <laughs> you know your audience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was. I would say it was kind of under the radar throughout school, Coleman. I didn't really didn't do anything like really, really crazy. You know, just uh, more of a homebody than anything else. That's nice. So, like, yeah. uh, what would what would be your like? What TV shows were you watching back then? Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, um, The Office. Oh, I love The Office. That was a great show on NBC. Can't believe it's already yeah. been a few years since they they finished. And then, uh, you know, Friends obviously was up there. That's one of the top top five. Um, I don't think I don't think Netflix was available until like oh seven oh eight. But before that, there was um, all these shows on ABC. Like even uh, America's Home Funniest Videos. You know, every yeah. time you come home at like six thirty and watch that. Um, but yeah, I mean it was just all whatever was on basic cable. But yeah, I remember The Office being up there. It was a that was a good show. Nice. So um, so it sounds like you had a good high school and uh, good middle school and elementary school. Is that? Yeah, I would say it's, I guess one word to describe it would be stable. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, yeah, just it was just it was just an experience, you know something that just happened and then you look back at it you're like yeah I had fun but um uh, to be honest with you I wouldn't do it again I'm glad I'm happy where I am right now so things are good why I me mean, why wouldn't you do it again was it because you didn't want to live through it again or it's just like you, know, you had a good time but it's not something you yeah. want to yeah it, I, I would say it's the latter it's just you know there's no attachment to the past anymore you know as an experience and um, I, I enjoy like the independence and doing my own thing and uh, you know, not having to keep going home at certain times of the day and uh, getting checked on. I, I guess just being a full adult now is, you know, it has its benefits, and so I'm just enjoying the enjoying all those things. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, being a kid was fun too. I mean, like I remember, like the most important thing I had to worry about was playing at recess or like what game was I going to play that day. You know, and you know, different aspects of life bring you know different pros and cons to it, but. Yeah, you know, it was something to look back on, reflect on it, and be happy with it, and just kind of be in the present moment, you know? So when you were, like, growing up, Palestine, like, we'd go to India pretty often, like, every other summer for, like, three months at a time. So were you, <laughs> yeah. were you guys, were you, how often would you go to India? Yeah, dude, I think we went quite, I don't think it was as often as you guys did, but it was, it was up there. We, um, I remember... When I was about not not me particularly, but my mom told me when I was a year old we went, 
1990, and then from then on, every three to four years, I want to say, we'd go to India for the summer, and it would be either for like a month-long trip or um, at least at least um, three weeks, you know, and we had the time to do it after, since we're growing up in school. Um, but then after that, you know, I think when we hit high school and college, uh, the, the frequency kind of went down, and we went maybe every six to seven years. Um, but enough times to where, you know, we met everybody there and, and then we keep going back and forth and we'd have to visit all the family members and do the rounds, you know, in a way. But yeah, quite a, quite a bit. Where did you guys do? Yeah. Which parts of India would you hit up when you went back? So the, the two staples we always had to go to were, um, Coimbatore in Tamil Nadu, mm-hmm. where my mom's side of the family was and, uh, or still is and Dirapur, where obviously, you know, our, dads were from so it was always in between those two and then from those two wherever you know my mom she liked to go to the temple so she would be like all right we got to go to Madurai, we got to go to Thiruchi, all these local areas in Tamil Nadu and just travel and I mean Vikash coined the term temple hopping because I felt like <laughs> some of the trips that we went to that's all we would do is just go from uh-huh. temple to temple <laughs> but um <laughs> but it would always you guys always like rolling your eyes all the time like why am I doing this uh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> I was like, yeah. this isn't fun. This trip is supposed to be fun. Why are we driving all the time, you know? Your um, salvation depends on it. <laughs> yeah. You know, she probably still tell you that to this day. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I know. Quimator was fun. I mean, you know, our grandma was there, and um, we just, I, I just love spending time with her and the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Therapore, which is only about an hour away from there, an hour an hour away of a car ride, was Pretty, I mean, if you think about it, relatively close to each other. So it wasn't like we had to do too, too much traveling from what I would call the two base points. Um, and, but the only thing I would say is uh, the timing of when we went. I mean, the summertime was so hot, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. I could take two showers, three showers a day and still feel muggy. Um, mm-hmm. But trying to be in the house was like, okay, I can I can deal with this. It won't be too bad. We did go one time in December, but that was like, the weather then was a lot better for sure, um, but yeah, in India was India was it was a lot of fun too, man. I mean, we always always had fun with family there, but traveling back and forth, I felt like wow, we've we've done a lot of cross uh, across the world traveling, you know, Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's crazy to think about now that we look back. Yeah, it always felt like it takes forever to get to India when we're kids but i don't know that's just because we were kids and it did probably take longer when we went because we probably. had really long layovers yeah dude it was crazy oh man but yeah i remember flying singapore airlines once and they had uh these like they did such a good job of like taking care of their their passengers they, they used to give us these coloring books and like um these cards that we used to play all the time and I don't think I don't remember seeing any TVs on those particular flights, but like I was so engaged with you know coloring and like playing cards and like before you knew it you were already you were already at your destination you know, um, but then obviously then they started putting the video games and the, and the movies on the flights and I was like yeah. yeah I can I can live this kind of life. People have <laughs> people have a good nowadays. Back then it was I know boring sometimes. It's crazy. You could sleep on the flight for like for like five hours and you still be on the same flight, you know? I mean, I think but, when I was a kid, it was fine, but like, I remember just staring at clouds for like 
hours on end, <laughs> which, like, when you're a kid, it's fine, it's fun, but, like, now it's yeah. just, <laughs> do that. So yeah. where would you think no, Cloud's for, getting like, who's, uh, whose place would you stay at there? Oh, yeah, so I think one of our cousins, probably one, uh, he had a he had a home there uh, with uh, Raj Ferepa, or I think our dad's oldest brother, um, yeah. and we would stay with them. Um, and they had, like, uh, yeah, they had this small little house, and it was really – uh, it was they had a lot of people there and we would spend time with all of our like cousins and it was just a huge family affair and that was a lot of fun um i just remember like driving with them on their like scooters and motorcycles and stuff and i was like these guys are so cool <laughs> they can you drive on their cool. own uh, two wheelers <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i thought you know driving on a two wheeler is dangerous in its own right, right and then having them do that was like with like a band, I mean, just driving all over the place and not really too much into the safety aspect of it. I thought I was like, wow, these guys are so cool, you know. And I remember did you mom was like, a lot? I did, I did. I didn't do the driving. I mean, obviously, I was the backseat passenger, but like just being on it was like, oh yeah, I can see why these guys love it so much. Um, but yeah, just hanging out with cousins and it's such a huge family affair there that uh, I was like, okay. Do you remember when they used to do those? Um, productions where everyone would kind of do like these dance routines on the rooftop yeah yeah, those were a lot of fun i think we still have some of those home video of like i think even you and uma are veiling like dancing and like singing and stuff pretty pretty funny if i ask uh, mom about it i'm sure she can provide us with like evidence (laughs) (laughs) or like even skits i I, that's the one thing i remember you guys were in a lot of like comedy skits with like Carthing much on not, and, not uh, me, uh, but like they stuff. did that. Yeah, a lot of dance, dance. Yeah, yeah. yeah Valen, Valen was really involved. <laughs> like, do you remember? Do you remember seeing Valen when after they had moved there? Do you remember? Like, recall like I do, I do. I remember Sendel, and I remember like they had this little home, like, and um, but it was like very, very vague memories. Cameron, it wasn't like very detailed. I remember spending time with them for a few days. Um. But then after that, it's kind of like, I don't know. I don't have that really that many memories of them, uh, at least in India. But when they came back to Jersey and, and, and Texas eventually, yeah, a lot more. Um, but I remember Sendel, like, um, he. I know they were in, you know, boarding school and they were doing their own thing. But we were, I remember playing, like, these, like, small basketball games with him. He had this little uh-huh. um, platform thing where you have to, like, press down with your thumb and you'd have to shoot the. It's like it's like what you'd play at Dave and Buster's today, except you're using your thumb to throw the basketball. And I remember sitting uh-huh. there playing with him for like hours on end. But that's like the only thing that I can remember spending spending time with him in India. You know. Yeah. After that, it's like all just kind of blurry. But um. Yeah. yeah they were there for a few years, right? Yeah, for a while. I mean. Yeah. They all moved there when he was thirteen. And he moved. Crazy. Yeah, maybe went for college during five years, five, six years at least. Yeah. That's a while. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you remember them more than me, at least while they were there, right? Yeah, every now and then we'd visit. But even my memories are you know, pretty hazy when I'd see them. I just remember, like, they were right. very miserable there. So. Yeah. It was a different time for sure. Yeah, so. But, yeah, it's good. I mean. Now all of us are in in the U.S. again, and uh, we can still visit each other whenever we get a chance. So it all ended well. Yeah, it did. <laughs> so um, 
after high school, did you go straight to Money Call, or was there like a break? Um, so I actually went to the University of Houston for a year. I um, I I got accepted to the Honors College there, and then I did. Uh, I was studying like for an undergrad de- um, degree in molecular biology. Yeah. Um, so I did the first two semesters there, and I remember like my whole plan was to eventually get into medical school and uh, and do all that stuff. But then I think through a couple of our mutual friends, we found out about this opportunity in India to go to med school directly. And um, then, so after the second semester, um, I talked to a couple of my friends. I'm like, well, you know, it was like a joint decision. And we're like, well, we're all thinking seriously about doing this. And mm. so we, we made the leap and went straight to uh, straight to medical school. And, you know, most of our credits from our first freshman year in college actually transferred over. And so it was kind of like a mix of, uh, it's like a combined uh, undergrad and medical school experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so, fun. It, it was, was like, really uh, good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It so, was. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, it was. Um, I remember I was only like 18 at the time, and to think about it now, it seems crazy. But you know, taking all your stuff and like, I think at that point I was only outside the house for for a year. And even then, the campus was only 45 minutes away. Um, uh-huh. So moving halfway around the world to go to school was like, holy crap, that's a huge decision, you know. But, yeah. you know, I went with my friends and, you know, made made a strong core group of people, uh, close friends there. And and we had our own little, like, money ball medical school community. And we helped each other, you know, get through um, studying and taking our exams and, you know, um, we spent time, it was like a home away from home after a couple of years. Um, definitely a good learning experience. But, uh, one thing I really took away from it was, um, just adapting to different cultures. And even though it's India, you know how every state has their own kind of flair. And the state of Karnataka had its own little cultural uniqueness to it. And, um, going to like cities like Goa and, um, visiting Mangalore and, um, just trying to experience the local culture there was, it was very eye-opening and it was, uh, well, Money Paul is, Money Paul is in like close to Tamil Nadu, right? Where is Money Paul? It's Pala? actually in the, it's in the state of, uh, Karnataka, which is north of Kerala. It's on the actual, it's actually on the western, uh, side of India, southwestern side of India. Uh-huh. Um, and so like, you know, Bangalore, Mangalore, uh, Goa, those are all the cities in that state, um, that are closer. How far is, and so how far would, is Goa from you? Oh, it was not that bad. It was we actually took a train, uh, and it was about a three to four hour train ride to Goa. Uh, I okay. went there a few times, especially after the exams were done. We would go spend the weekend there and then come back. Um, very touristy area, beachside resorts, and uh, yeah. a lot of fun, you know. Um, Did it feel like yeah? Like what was that like? Oh, it was it was awesome, dude. They had like like you can rent your own scooter, like jeep, um, and just ride on the coast. Um, and like visit all these like restaurants that were literally on the beach. Um, and it was just like a, it, it felt like a vacation tourist, you know, location. A lot of Europeans would visit, um, a lot mm-hmm. of Malaysians, Southeast Asians. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like a hub of just diverse people in this one city in, in, on the coast. And, um, it's, it, it sometimes, in some places it didn't feel like you were in India because you just saw so many different people, you know? And it was really, it was really interesting. But then, 
we would we would use that as our like vacation spot after our exams were done. So it's like um, it's like a party place, right? Is it basically is that right? Like pretty, or is pretty there more much, yeah, than like just like it, it, there's there's party. like different sections of the city. There's there's definitely a huge section of the city which just like party, have a good time, and then there there were a lot of other areas where there's a lot of families that live there and they have their businesses and all that kind of stuff. But I will say majority of the uh, city is more of a, you know, single growing up party kind of area, especially closer to the beaches, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So that was pretty crazy, but coming back and then we'd go back to Moneyball to get our exams done and, and then do it all over again. So like uh, you're, how long were you in Moneyball for? So I think all in all, it was about three years, three, four years. Yeah. yeah I can't believe it. Three or four years. Yeah. yeah. 20, 2008 to 2011. So three years. And um, what was like the, how was it organized? Like, like what was your schedule like over there? Oh, it was pretty regimented. They, um, so each, they, they had their own semesters and we would only have about a three week vacation block in between each semester. And I would use those three weeks to come home. Um, but it was pretty regimented in the fact that, you know, we had one campus, we'd go to classes from about like eight to five, um, mm-hmm. with obviously lunch breaks in between. And, um, and it was like that from Monday through Friday, pretty much. And, you know, each hour was a different class. Like there would be anatomy, physiology, biochem, you know, all the regular uh, med school classes that you take anywhere in the world. Um, it was just kind of a more concentrated area there. And our professors were all English speaking. And mm-hmm. um, I I do remember like the first couple of weeks being at that school being it was kind of funny to me because, you know, some of these professors had like really, really, really thick Indian accents. So it was really hard for me to like decipher what they were trying to say, even though they were speaking English. Um, mm-hmm. It took me a while to kind of get over that and uh, kind of figure out what they were, you know, what their lingo was. But it was um, after that, then it was kind of a clear coast and it wasn't too bad. But uh, yeah, it was pretty regimented. It was Monday through Friday, and and then on the weekends we'd all hang out at each other's apartment places, and, um, mm-hmm. and just made made friends that way. And it was a really really small community if you think about it. Everyone knew everybody else. So after about a few weeks, we kind of kind of had a good grasp on who everyone was. Yeah, and um, so you're pretty busy, I guess. I take it like it was like a lot of a lot of studying. Oh yeah, a ton of studying, but. I think the one good thing was they they did incorporate like a healthy um like balance of like extracurriculars you know they had a uh, they eventually built this huge gym over there and they offered like recreational leagues where people could play basketball you know soccer tennis mm. um and they did have a lot of cultural events too like where different parts of the college there was the engineering school the um IT school the med school where they would have all these like dance competitions and fashion shows and things to kind of do apart from just studying all the time. Um, and uh-huh. I think that was really healthy for us. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Right. They had, um, all these like Indian so fashion that, shows. Was that like, your thing? Where you'd be like, <laughs> I, 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 I did, I did one show and I was like, yeah, I'm probably just going to stick to the dancing. <laughs> oh, uh, so it's like, that's just not my thing, but I can. I can throw it down on the dance floor. 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm not tooting my own <laughs> horn here, but I think I can hold my own. <laughs> <laughs> so right from the family, then. Did Vikash get his moves from you? Is that where it comes from? Uh, you know, if you ask him, he'd probably be like, no, I learned it on my own. But Were, uh, were you the original? <laughs> I, I, will, I will say I was the original. I'm what made him better. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so without you, there'd be no Vikash. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think he you heard it his... here. You heard it here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, make sure he listens to this after I tell him this. No, I'm just kidding. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was fun, man. We did all those things too, and um, those are the yeah. memories that I actually remember the most from from Moneyball compared to like actually, you know, obviously taking the exams and and then um, taking care of all that stuff. But I still maintain a lot of those friendships to this day, so it's really cool. So you met Harish in the beginning, like when, how long, when did you guys become friends? Oh yeah, Harish, yeah, so yeah, best friend for sure. Um, we started hanging out a lot more, I think about a year into my, uh, med school. I mean, I mean, we all went, we, we were in separate classes, so that's kind of why we didn't really see each other every day, but, um, through basketball, through, you know, through friends of friends and, and hanging out at each other's places, I kind of got to know him a little bit better. Um, and then eventually we became roommates. We lived in the same apartment for the remaining uh, part of his uh, med school before he left. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, then it just kind of took off after that. I mean, we went through certain experiences there that kind of brought us closer together. Um, and we, we kind of figured out who, you know, who our real friends were in certain situations. And, you know, it, Harish was always there at the end of the day. And so um, that friendship just kind of grew out of that experience. Um to, to, to what it is today, you know, he's kind of the one guy I can actually call and and uh, talk to about random different things and kind of pick up where we left off, even if we hadn't chatted for a while, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it really it really started, I think, a second year into into Moneyball. Um, but yeah, he's a really good guy and maintained that friendship to today. Mhm. So that's good. That's nice. Yeah. And um. So that was three years, and uh, you'd come home every break that you got off? Oh, dude, yeah, I had to. I mean, the first time I came home after going to India, I I, I think I literally kissed the ground just because I was like, man, I haven't been this far away from home for this long, you know? The semester was about six months at a time, and not having McDonald's and even, like, regular, at that time, regular things like Burger King or, like, you know, um, going to – spend time with your high school friends and stuff like that, you know, you, you miss that. And, um, so I, I remember walking to the house and my dad was like, Oh my God, this kid's like, he's like crazy. He's so happy to just be, just to be back in the U S <laughs> for, for like three weeks. And I was like, Oh, I'm home now. I can eat my mom's home cooked meals and go to like smoothie King or go to the AMC theater and get a Big Mac or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just accessible, you know? And, um, yeah. not have to see just a bunch of the people that look just like me is at least a diverse group of people. And, uh, you know, I took those things for granted when I was here growing up and then not having that for a few months, I realized how good we have it here. So the money, but, part, like, like living in money, Paul, feel like living, like for me, all at my own reference, only reference for living in India is like visiting therefore climb with or those parts <laughs> of India. And like that yeah. kind of life that like that was it the same, similar kind of life. In Manipal, or was it was it different? That's a good question. Um, I will say it's both. Um, it was different in the in the setting that like 
it was a college campus where everything you could get on the same in the same area it, and it was it was it was cleanly i mean they did a great job of making it like a tourist destination point for a lot of uh, american citizens you know a lot of europeans to come in and go to school there as soon as you left the campus as soon as you took an auto or a bus or a car or whatever even a few minutes out then you're in the city you're in the actual like town of moneyball and and then you felt like what you would you would picture is um living in india you know uh, mm-hmm. where you're seeing everybody it's a lot of people everywhere um you know dirty in some some areas and um but in, in, in its own way it had its own flair but the safe mm-hmm. thing was as soon as we go and visit that part of the city we come back to our dorms or our apartments and then we're back on college like a college campus and it didn't feel like it, it did feel like a separate part of the state of the city you know um mm. it, it, in that regards it was kind of like a safe haven but uh mm-hmm. i i would say both for sure i mean you you get you get like a little bit of what actual india is to this kind of a cocoon of like of college life on 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 campus so mm. yeah it was really interesting dynamic but uh we started we got used to it pretty quick do they have a cafeteria there or how what did you do for food yeah they did um they had this like cafeteria in the main main campus and like they had like these little local um shops within the cafeteria so you could like pick and choose what you wanted um there's like there was a subway there i remember that there was uh they had the a what first there? floor was like yeah yeah there was a subway there i remember but it, oh, was, yeah. like, it was like an indian version of subway you know how it is like near tika uh <laughs> like all these like tika subway sandwich yeah yeah and then i remember ordering like random subs and like i don't know i felt like the the people that were serving the food were a little picky because if you asked for like mustard mustard or like um lettuce whatever they literally pick out like two pieces of lettuce and then put it on your on your your bread i'm like dude come on we could be a little bit more generous than that why you gotta why you gotta be stingy like that you know they can't uh, afford it over there bala they don't have lettuce it's not like they gotta import that from the u.s man Oh uh, man, yeah, it was it was pretty funny. But after going there yeah. so many times, they're like, "Oh, this guy wants more food. So <laughs> you gotta, you gotta." Oh, uh, look at the fat ass! He's coming in again. <laughs> coming uh, in again. <laughs> they like whispering to themselves when I see you. Like he's like, "Quick, grab the extra food from the pack. We gotta get ready." Yeah, it was funny. It was the first floor they had like the um the regular mess hall where it was like all Indian food all the time. And then the second floor, they had all these other options. Like they even had like their own Chinese, like um, hybrid noodles store. And then like they had this pizza location. I forgot the names, but I guess it was enough variety that you didn't really get too tired of it. But at the end of the day, people just kind of cooked on their own. They had their, you know, their apartments and um, grocery shopping and stuff like that. So you didn't cook, did you? No, I didn't really. I um I think the first half of my training there I was living in a dorm. And then the, the crazy thing about India is you can hire someone for everything, you know? We had yeah. after moving out to the apartments temporarily, we actually had a guy who would come pick up our clothes and then take care of the washing and and cleaning and then bring it back. And then we had a cook. Nice. I mean, we hired a cook for a few months and like they would make meals yeah. at least like four times a week. And it was like uh-huh. 500 rupees a week or something. It was such a 
very uh, manageable yeah. amount, you know, where it's like not yeah. that bad. But for the locals who who did all these things, it was like a huge lump sum of money for them, and it was like an opportunity mm. for them, like a gold mine, you know. Um, yeah. And they, it was kind of a mutually exclusive group, and it, we all fed off of each other, and it, I think it worked out. But to be honest with you, I don't think a lot of people there cooked to the extent that you would think of living in your own apartment cooking, you know. There was always somebody there that could take care of you if you yeah, had the money. I, I wouldn't have cooked if I had that kind of opportunity to pay someone 500 rupees a week and get food. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, it was huge. Right. And it's like for them, you know, it's like the livelihood. So, yeah. It's, it's, it's and you're doing humanitarian service at the time, same time. You feel good about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you come home and then you're like, oh, crap, I got to do everything on my own. Laundry? <laughs> <laughs> I got to put this in the washing machine, then put it in the drying machine. Yeah. What is this Tide Pod? What is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not supposed to eat this one? Yeah. yeah like, this goes in a lot. Oh, what? What? Not in my mouth? What? No. Yeah, you know, it's Not crazy. In my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. But, um, yeah, that was another adjustment period after graduating and then coming home. Um, you're like, yeah, you still have to take care of yourself. Yeah. But good so, times, uh, man, good times. You, you were there for three years. So when did you go from there? Where did you come back to over here? So they had this um, transitioning semester in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, um, for uh, – basically preparing us for our board exam, um, which was step one. And so I think our class and then one of our conjoining classes um, went there about a few months after we graduated to study for the board. Um, and so it was kind of like a transition semester. Um, and we were there for about you know six months, I think. And then um, after that, took our exams, and pretty much we just waited for our clinical placement to do our rotations. And the majority of us ended up in uh, New York. Um, and we did a lot of our clinical rotations at the hospitals there, primarily in Brooklyn and, and Queens. Um, and then from then on, you know, after rotations were done, we all basically applied for residency. And and then the rest is, you know, wherever you ended up, you ended up. But, uh, yeah, we were definitely doing a lot of our rotations at different parts of the city. Some people actually went down and finished some of their rotations in Atlanta itself. Other people went to Ohio and um and I think I did a, a few of my rotations in Augusta, which is about maybe a couple uh-huh. hours away from Atlanta. So, um, yeah, I felt like, you know, all in all, it took about another two to three years before I finally got um, our uh, degree. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good. Ex- and New York was a good experience too. I mean, a lot of our co-medical student friends were there, and we'd go hang out on the weekends. And I think you would know you you were there too, right? I think for about a year or so. I was there for like a while. Like- Almost three years up there for two Three years, months. wow. Yeah, from 2007 yeah, so. and tail end to 2010, summer. Yeah, I was there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So I will say this about New York. You know, I, I enjoyed my time there for the time being, but I could never live there. I think it was mm-hmm. more fun because, you know, we had all our fr- friends and people that we could spend time with. But as soon as you, like, the day-to-day stuff, it was just so uh, tiring. Um, and I was happy to finish my rotations and get my degree and be like, all right, next time I go back, I'll just go did on the weekend. Did you do all your, did you do all your rotations in New York? Or you did, so you were, you did, you yeah, I did, did all the majority of them there. I did majority of them there. I did, uh, internal medicine, PEDS, OB, huh. um, uh, primarily in Brooklyn. Um, and I would take the subway, uh, every day. 
So there was a interfaith hospital. There was uh, I think Wyckoff Hospital, and then I yeah. think some other people went to Brookdale. Um, but those were in like the lower areas of Brooklyn, I think. Um, I think the subway every day was yeah, yeah. So that was like yeah, you you know you know how it was. Um, busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trans the transit time took a while just to get there. Um, well, where'd you live? You live in Queens, right? Yeah, I lived in Queens for like the second half. I was in some like really weird place, and I'm not gonna tell you the exact location. It was kind of like really sketchy, but uh, where I moved like out, I moved out from yeah, and then I moved to Queens, and we lived in like this blue house, like three floor blue house that uh, the, the local people were like renting out the rooms to medical students. Um, yeah. So we and actually Harish was there too. We kind of met up again while he was finishing up some of his rotations and lived in that house for yeah. a little while. But we'd always take the uh, the J train, and the J train from Queens, my God, that thing runs like once every half hour. So you'd have if you miss one time, you have to wait like you really? literally have to sit there for 20 minutes until the next one comes. I'm like, dear God, this is ridiculous. And you have to coordinate yeah. that when you wake up in the morning to be like, I need to make the 621, you know? Otherwise, you miss yeah. you miss the first half of the rotation. Um, yeah, it was just a different time, you know, <laughs> travel traveling to get to Brooklyn. It was like uh, I wish I had a car, you know. You I learned how to take have. the like the buses there. Like some of the buses could like take you like a lot faster than the trains. Really? So when, yeah, because like you know the trains would be like kind of like a triangular sort of pattern. Yeah. From Queens yeah, to yeah. Brooklyn, you had to go kind of into Manhattan almost, then kind of turn around. Whereas like, right, some right, of the buses right. would be like up and down, and so you can go from like yeah. I see. But, uh, but yeah, I guess a car overall would have been a lot quicker. But driving in there, yeah. I would I would have lost my shit too. I would have been like, oh my god. Yeah, probably <laughs> the worst city to have. It would be the easiest city yeah. to get a, get away with without having a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I remember some of my friends thought I was crazy for leaving the city and going to spend time with Valen in Jersey. They're like, why are you going to Jersey? You live in New York. You should hang out here. And I'm like, well, you know, I was here all week. And uh, I want to spend time with my cousin, so I take the the bus from Port Authority, and then um, he'd pick me up from the uh, from the parking lot, and I spend time with Valen for the weekend, and then come back. So how often would you um, go to New Jersey for? You know, it's crazy. I think I went maybe like once or twice a month, or maybe like once or twice in a, in like two months. Oh, so you um, and Valen were like tight back then, huh? Yeah, yeah. Then we had a falling out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear about that. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, very, very drama, drama free. Uh, but yeah, the drama. We, 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 what's that? Yeah. What would you guys do? Yeah, we would. Um, was Kendall there, or was it just Valen? Or was Raymond Draper there, or they got they're gone by then? I think they were in Texas at the time too, or they were in Edison or something. It was primarily just Valen. It was just us two hanging out. And we would always, like, either go watch a movie, whatever movie was out that weekend, or um, go watch some of the football games on Sunday. Because um, he was a big Giants fan, and we would, like, sit there in his apartment, like, basically go through a football marathon or um, mm-hmm. just go out to eat. It was it was such a, like, bachelor lifestyle. Or you just go hang out, and then every Sunday I'd be like, ah, oh, damn it, now I have to go back into the city. And mm-hmm. that was, like, a whole, like, two-hour, like, uh, traveling time, you know? Um, but no, I used to do the same thing. I used to go visit quite often, but yeah, when I was yeah. there, Perry and Perry were still there, so I'd see them also. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I kind of got adapt very quickly to the transportation that New York City had to offer, you know, bus-wise, subway-wise, like just mm-hmm. trying to get your way around things, you know. So, in a, way, in a way, the first time I saw that map, I was like, what is this? How am I going to ever figure yeah. this out, you know? But uh, yeah. you find a way, so. Yeah. Crazy. Good times, man. It was fun, though. Valen, he still asks us to come over there whenever we can, so. We'll have to see and come visit him. You're you're there for like two years. Pretty much, yeah, two years. Finished up New York and then found residency in Michigan and then uh, almost done with that now. So, yeah, New York was. But did you see Uma think, when you went to Atlanta? I did. She, um, I think that's where I met her, uh, her then boyfriend James at the time, right? And then um, mm-hmm. we hung out a lot and we like. Um, she would invite me to her place, and she, I think she was working at Emory Hospital in that area. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had a chance to kind of catch up after I came back from India for, for some time. Well, had you seen Uma, but, or did you, had you seen Uma before that? Like, I do. Oh, no, you oh, know, actually, yeah. it was pretty rare. It was pretty rare before that, just because she was working in Atlanta, and then I was in India, and then whenever I came home, I would just come home to Houston. You know, and then I would go back. Um, obviously, like with you guys, we kept in touch over the phone. But um, after moving there, and then like living there, and then seeing her like I, uh, pretty often, and whenever she was free or if she wasn't working, she would call me up, and then we would like hang out and have pizza or like meet up at her apartment or something. Um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a while actually, maybe a few years up until that point. Wait, how long were you? How long were you in Atlanta for? Just short period. Of time, so right? I was. Yeah, I was there for like six months. I think so. I graduated from my medical school in 2011, and then uh, moved down there for the transition semester. So that that fall, I was pretty much there, and then I left. I think in January or something of 2012. Yeah. So and within those four to five months, is when I really we got to hang out a lot more often and, and keep in touch, um, and kind of basically picked up where we left off before I left for India. That's nice. So, so yeah, uh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's a yeah. very, very unconventional path. If you look back at it, <laughs> you know, but uh, it all worked out in the end. Yeah. And then, so you finished up your rotations in New York and then, um, so how was residency? Was it hard, challenging? It seems like, well, all I've heard from you is that you have a really good work environment, which I don't think for all like internal medicine residency programs that's the case. I think people get mm-hmm. in programs where they're kind of like malignant atmosphere and there's like a lot of problems with attendings and having to deal with all that stuff. But I think from everything I've heard from you, your residency, while it might have been challenging, has been like a, you know just a really good work environment. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think. In residency in general, it's going to be hard work. It's going to be busy wherever you go. But I feel like what you said was spot on about, you know, the environment was, I think it was key. It was, uh, it's not like your typical internal medicine, especially where you, where you feel like, you know, there's this superiority complex or chain of command where you have to like answer to the person above you. It was never, and it's never like that. It was always a respectable, um, open-minded, like, community and there was a lot of healthy feedback and constructive criticism to the point where you know the residents never got felt like they were getting burned out there was always 
someone to talk to and someone to kind of maintain some sort of well-being. Um, and I felt that throughout the whole the whole time I was here. Um, and, and I do I do feel like it's obviously not the case everywhere else. And I do know that it's kind of like a bubble. And once we leave residency here, you're going to have to pretty much enter the real world again and be like, yeah, that was only a temporary thing, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it was a very positive experience. And um, the one thing, though, I, I'd like to get away from is the snow. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. winter season, it's, you know, growing up in Texas, as you know, it's not something that I'm like really that used to or comfortable with, even after being here for three years. But um, yeah. people are what make the place, you know, and the co-residents, the faculty, the attendings, I mean, they're, they've been all great. Um, so it's, it's been, a, it's been overall, you know, a good positive experience and, and something I'll remember forever. Was it hard to transition from being a medical student to being a resident? Um, I will say yes, just because, I mean, you you know, you're thrust into a position of responsibility now, um, where, you know, your, your decision-making has consequences, uh, especially when it comes to patient care. And so I think that part was the biggest, you know, step that I had to overcome and say, you know, you got to be comfortable with, with doing that on a regular basis and, and just trying to do the best you can, um, under obviously a monitored setting, but, yeah, yeah, it was definitely a transition period, especially being um, coming out of medical school and then thrusting into a position where you have to take care of patients from the get-go, from day one. Um, but after that, you know, you know, we 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 adapt pretty well. You get you get used to it, and then it kind of grows on you to the point where you're like, no, I can. You have that confidence in yourself where you can make decisions and and follow through with plans and and realize that you're 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 doing you know a positive thing for your patients and. Um, and then you have the right people to guide you and you, you make the, make those decisions without having any, you know, second doubts or anything after, after the end of the day. But, uh, mm-hmm. after, after intern year, things obviously got a little bit better and, um, you, you start to find your way a little bit more and kind of figure out what you want to do after that. And, um, and just like with med school and high school, you know, you, you make a lot of close friends, uh, especially people that you work with all the time. You, you see all of these co-residents. At certain aspects of their training too, and it's not always going to be happy times. You know, you see people go through different things, and then you realize, you know, you're not the only one, you know, going through this training process in your life. So it kind of brought our, I think, at least in our class, a lot closer together, and um, definitely going to be lifelong friendships from this too. Mm. Yep, that's great. Um, so, like, what was the practice setting that you had? Like, well, how many, how big is the hospital? Um, and, like, what You know, it's like funny. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, uh, I can't really tell you how many beds it is. It's a large community hospital, but we take um, 16 residents for the internal medicine program a year. And, yeah. um, I mean, there, it's quite a big hospital in the setting that there are other residency programs. There's OB, family, there's actually a Durham program now. Um, and then a couple of fellowships. There was uh, infectious disease and palliative care. Um, so it's quite a relatively big, big, big place. Uh, but it's just it's not considered an academic university program. It's just a very, very large uh, community program. But by its own standards, it's really, really it's competitive in that setting, you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's enough for it keeps us busy, and we have a rotating schedule every month and. I mean, 16 residents for a community program is pretty big. So 
Yeah. Um, it, it it can hold its own. You know what I mean? And like, what are the kinds of problems you're seeing? Like the the patient with, pa- issues, with patients like or yeah, what are like yeah the common sort of? I mean, I guess it depends think, on your setting, right? So right. Like I think one of the strengths doing. of this program was was the ICU experience. I mean, they they kind of as an intern, you, you you're thrusted into the ICU for quite some time, and like. Um, so we do see a lot of overdoses and uh, chronic conditions. You know, sepsis is obviously a big thing everywhere. You see that a lot. Um, and they put a lot of focus on the intensive care here. And a lot of the residents that have graduated from previous years have gone on to pulmonary critical care as a fellowship. Um, and so I think that's one of the major strengths. They really make you feel comfortable as running code blues and at least being in that setting and not having to always have that constant anxiety about, oh, you know, things can go wrong right away. Um, so I think, yeah, I think the ICU experience here was, I think, one of the scariest but also rewarding uh, experiences after coming out of that. Um, mm-hmm. Granted, I still still have to do another one month of that before I graduate. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's, it's one of the biggest selling points the program has to offer to prospective med students, especially those who want to go into intensive care as a as a career um, but yeah, it depends, like what you said, what rotation you're on. If you're, you know, if you're in the clinic, you know, obviously we we do serve an underserved area here, so there's a lot of chronic conditions, you know, diabetes, hypertension, and all the complications that come with that. Um, and if you're in, you know, nephro, endocrinology, you see a lot of the really severely complicated diabetics. Um, you'll see a lot of the end-stage renal diseases. I mean, it just depends on what what rotation you're working through. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's just really interesting. It, you see a little bit of everything, and you know, University of Michigan's right next door, and so we see a lot of cases that we sometimes transfer out to them, and then they bring it to us, or you know, however the system works. But there's a lot of tertiary centers that um, I think St. Joe's is pretty big as far as bringing in a lot of cases from the surrounding areas, even though it's right mm-hmm. next to one of the biggest institutions in the world. You know, mm-hmm. very interesting though. But uh, yeah, overall. Good, good, good vibes, and then graduations coming up, and then, and then, and, and then that'll be that, you know. And um, yeah, so you're going to sports medicine. So how did you come on, come upon sports medicine? What like, and what what triggered it? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I so and I actually so when I was in ROTC back in high school, I remember going to the weekly football games, the high school football games. And um, I remember seeing, like, we, we used to have an athletic trainer and, you know, having them on the sidelines. And I thought that was really cool. I'm like, these guys can, like, take care of the athletes on the field. Um, and I was like, this is a pretty cool gig. And, I, and at the time, it was just an idea. I didn't really think too much of it. I didn't even know I was going into medical school, you know, in that moment. But coming back to it after, you know, going to Moneyball and coming back and then going through all the rotations of internal medicine, PEDS, you know, I mean, they're all fine and stuff, but I just didn't feel like I'd want to do that as a career. Um, and then I and then I matched here, and I met one of our faculty members who just happened to be a sports medicine trained doctor, um, and was doing a mixed primary care practice with his sports medicine training. And I got to know more of what he does. And you know, he told me his schedule. He goes to local football games. He's a team doctor for certain teams, and then um, he takes care of all of the musculoskeletal complaints of athletes and motivated patients that actually want to take care of themselves and and want to get out there as soon as possible and I 
you know, that that's kind of contagious. And I, I kind of fed off of that. I'm like, this is something that I see myself doing. And even so from intern year, I actually, you know, had this uh, mindset that I wanted to be a sports medicine physician. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't like a uh, a slight against inpatient medicine or or you know going to be a hospitalist. I just felt I felt like my time would be more I don't know I'd be happier doing doing this rather than uh, taking care of patients in the hospital. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, one thing led to another. I had a few opportunities. I was able to to go to a few lacrosse games at a local division school, uh, university school mm-hmm. here, and get some training um, and see what my mentor does as on the side. And, and I was like, yeah, this is definitely a good, a good career option. It's a, I think it was a well-balanced option as well. And I didn't feel like it would be something that would burn me out in the long run and something that I could maintain for a, quite some time. So it was a very, very thought out decision, but uh, it looks like, you know, things are in full, full swing and it's going to, it's going to be fun. So like when, during football games, what are like the, like the issues that come up? Like what are the common problems that they had to to deal with? Oh yeah, yeah. There's a ton of a ton of it's funny. A lot of these players they don't hydrate themselves enough, so they always have like these muscle cramps. The athletic trainer has to run out in the field and like rub off their like their cramps for a while. And those are all the minor complaints. But sometimes you do see concussions. Sometimes you do see. I remember going to one particular game um, where this. The opposing wide receiver was trying to grab a ball, but he landed awkwardly on his knee and then kind of yelled in a lot of pain. And so we all ran out in the field and assessed his knee and found out he had a complete, what looked like to be a complete ACL tear, you know, um, very, very lax uh, joints. And he was obviously in pain and there was immediate swelling and he couldn't put any weight on it. And, you know, it, it was those severe injuries that it's like, oh, no, I see why they need a team position. I mean, as you know, football is a very dangerous sport, and things can happen very quickly. Um, and so you have to be on your toes, even though you are on the side watching and trying to enjoy the game. Um, those are those are the things that I saw, and I think majority of them were, you know, minor musculoskeletal like sprains, strains, and but the severe ones like that ACL tear, I think are going to stick with me. And those are the things that you really look out for the most. Um, but concussions, concussions are right up up there. You you see a lot of those. They have to do like the the sideline testing and seeing if they're, you know, safe to go back in or if they're having, you know, headaches or visual disturbances or things that you feel that this guy needs to really be cleared before he can go back out and play. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's really all about making sure that the athlete is safe, even though they're in a full contact sport and that, that risk of injury is always there, you know. Um, so I saw yeah. quite a few of those while I was on the sidelines. So. Um... Did you take any bribes? You know, like the coaches are like, here's five dollars to say he's good to go. <laughs> yeah, you would think, right? I think maybe if you go up the ladder, I think high school, high school athletics. I don't think that's there unless, I, at least in my current experience. But I'm sure <laughs> politics start to be more of a more of a player if you go up the ladder. Professional yeah. sports, I'm sure there, there's a little bit of that. I wouldn't lie. <laughs> but yeah, that was good so experience, good. man. MCL so good. Yeah. 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 It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> you can go back in. <laughs> Make some extra money on the side. No, I'm just kidding. Then <laughs> yeah. you also run like a rehabilitation clinic on the side for all those people that yeah. make it out. Right. Right. Yeah. There's either either way, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's options. There's options to do things, and uh, and it's a, it's a field that's still relatively new, Cameron. I mean, like. 
yeah, granted, there have been programs at fellowship programs that have been out there for many years, but I feel like it's still a pro, it's still a field where people are trying to figure out what they want and like the option. There's there's plenty of options that you can do. Um, it's not as like set in stone like cardiology or mm-hmm. endocrinology or all the what you would think of a fellowship program to be when you graduate from internal medicine. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a growing field and it's it's actually really really exciting time. So how's it growing, and like, what are the different practice settings you can do? So it? yeah, it's um, a good question. We we went to so I went to one of the national conferences where all the sports medicine physicians from around the country come and present topics of their own patients, and fellows would talk and things like that. And it was a great source to meet and greet. Um, growing in the sense that there are fellowship programs that are popping up around the country, and it's starting to be recognized by other co-specialties as a recognized field. Uh, and the different practice settings that I've witnessed is you could either join um, a mixed practice where you can be part of a primary care setting and be the musculoskeletal physician pretty much and do all your procedures through that, or you can join an orthopedic surgery practice, and um, it looks like more and more uh, orthopedic groups are wanting to hire a primary care sports medicine physician to take care of all their clinical patients while they're in the OR, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, to do ultrasound-guided injections, um, and just do all the, clin- the clinical side of things. Um, there are a few uh, physicians that I've spoken with that have joined the ranks of Division I sports, um, and, um, and professional is also another option. Um, so, there, you know, there's quite a few, quite a few uh, options that you can go through, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to contacts, people that you know, obviously, that's going to help you get, you get an edge on where you want to go, and... Um, but I think the more more opportunities are really within the primary care field as far as um, mixed practices going and seeing clinic, clinic in a PCP setting versus uh, sports medicine, 100% musculoskeletal patients. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I like about it, that the fact that you don't have to, like, settle for one thing. You can do, you can do whatever you want. Uh, it's really up to you. So what are you leaning towards doing? So I'm thinking, I mean, I'm keeping my options open at this point because, you know, starting fellowship in a few months and going to see what the offers are there. But mixed practice, I think, would be beneficial for me just because the, the not just the money, but I think this, just the number of opportunities that I can decide and pick which one I'd like to do, um, you know, more of a benefit. And you have a little bit more say as far as what your living situation is going to be. I mean, if you did... Um, division one sports or if you're primarily in a orthopedic practice i mean there's a lot of things you might have to give up and it, it depends on on the group that you're joining before you make a final decision um but i feel like the the opportunities and the offers i think will be more beneficial from a from a mixed practice setting and, and it, it helps to keep your mind you know stimulated you don't have to do doing one thing all the time i think carrying over some of my primary care training from residency you know I think it still should be an important part of the career instead of just having to stick to um, seeing musculoskeletal all the time. But, you know, things can change, and, you know, that might change uh, even a year from now. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and um, so you're starting a fellowship in July, and then so what is the sort of like what do you do during fellowship? Yeah, um, so, yeah, I'll be going to University of Buffalo. I'd the fellowship, it pretty much is a, it depends on which program you go to, but some of them have this one block rotations where, you know, you're, 
you, you're in charge of their sports teams and you have to be there at their football games, basketball games, and kind of be the sideline physician and assess patients and make sure that they're safe when they're playing. Um, mm-hmm. Throughout the course of the week, you'll be in the clinic. You'll be working with sports medicine trained doctors, orthopedic specialists, mm-hmm. um, witnessing, you know, return to play from concussion protocol, um, doing injections, kind of procedures, um, learning how to use ultrasound, um, just different things to kind of help you uh, with your skills once you graduate. Um, seeing different mm-hmm. sides of care, working with athletic trainers, working with physical therapists, um, nutrition. You know, I mean, this one rotation in this program has a has a whole block just dedicated to sports nutrition for the athlete and figuring out, you know, what is the ideal, you know, meal for for performance enhancement. Um, learning, you know, from the cardiology standpoint, uh, what are the safety, what are the uh, criteria that you need to look for in athletes, you know, when reading EKGs or screening them to make sure that, you know, they don't have any family history of cardiac issues that might put them at risk when they're exerting themselves on the field. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like in the grand scheme of things, you're looking at everything all in one one piece, and, and that's what's really exciting. I mean, you can, you can do so much with that, you know, and I think – I, the reason why I was enticed into it was just the preventative health aspect of it. I mean, these are healthy people overall, you know, relative to the general population. But to mm-hmm. prevent them from having more risk of injury um, and then mm-hmm. wanting them to be successful and being the best patient that they can be or athlete that they can be, it, it's, a, it's a rewarding feeling in its own way. And I think, like, that kind of that kind of carries off and rubs me the right way where it's like, well, if these guys can do and live like this and, you know, it motivates you to want to live a healthier lifestyle and, and because, you know, it's, uh, in the end, everyone kind of wins. And that's cool. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff you can do there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pretty exciting stuff. Like, yeah. Find exciting. Yeah. Like in terms of like concussions, like how do you assess someone for a concussion and like say like, okay, you're good to go or you shouldn't be going back onto the field? Well, I mean, first you got to ask them about symptoms. If they have, you know, blurry vision, double vision, headaches, um, memory lapses. And there's there's like a questionnaire screening test that you can ask them on the sideline itself and kind of mm-hmm. measure their proprioception and do certain maneuvers to see if they can follow along with you. And and if they mark any of those abnormally, you know, that's a red flag. And so it's a, it's a game time decision that you have to make and say, no, I think it's safer for you to sit, you know. And once they sit the game, they have to come back into the clinic and they have to undergo these tests again to see if, uh, you know, these symptoms are, have gone or if they're um, slowly going away. And there's a whole protocol for that. And it's a stepwise mm-hmm. protocol to a point where once they're clear of symptoms and they're able to perform, you know, basic activities on a day-to-day without reproducing those symptoms um, for a mm-hmm. certain time period, then you're you're saying, okay, maybe it's safe to go back. But it's a very, very – now it's like a – um, a very thorough process. I mean, there's a, there is a lot of room to grow in that in that area. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not really all like black and white. There's a lot of gray area there, but there is there is some guidelines out there that you use to um, to see when they're safe to safe to return to play. And and that, it's exciting because you don't want the, these kids. You know, once you have a concussion, you're always at risk for having another one, and that's that's the biggest risk factor is if you have a history mm-hmm. of them. And um, so when we go through these protocols, you want to make sure that um, they're at a safe time and distance when they can go back in before um, putting them at risk uh, again, you know. 
Um, and th that takes time. That could be weeks. That could be months. It depends on the severity of the initial concussion. Hmm. Um, but yeah, they have to they have to go through the protocol at their own time and pace. Um, and so it's, it's it's interesting how that works. Yeah. So after you finish fellowship, and do you know like is there anywhere you want to live ideally, or? Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna keep you know that open, but. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if I could go somewhere where the weather is just reminds me of Texas or even Texas itself, you know, uh, warm weather throughout the year. I'm not a big fan. I don't really care for the four seasons. <laughs> I think it's something that I can I can go experience on vacation rather than having You're to like live throughout hot, the hot all the time. It's good for you. Warm all the <laughs> yeah. time. It's good. I'll, I'll put it this way, Corman. I would love to wear shorts and uh tank top on December 15th, middle of the December, um, and go yeah. swimming comfortably without having any worries. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> are you going to, you, as a physician, are you going to be wearing, like, khaki shorts, tank top, sandals, and, a, like, over, <laughs> like, a white white coat on top of all this? Yeah, why not? Like, it might as well and, be and sunglasses. Day, even, even and sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walk walk in the clinic with the with the <laughs> appropriate lighting, but still wear shades. Yeah, why not? You know, <laughs> got the baller. <laughs> like it's it's uh, it's a position again. Here he comes. Take off your glasses, man. <laughs> um, yeah, man, it's gonna be fun. I'm I'm really excited about it for for real. But um, somewhere in the south, I think is where I'm gonna. You know, and maybe Dallas, Austin are, are good cities to kind of look at. Um, but we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens. And is the market like pretty open? Like you can go, is it, you can kind of go you wherever know what's you funny? want. Um, so this is the way I look at it. After interviewing uh, at certain fellowship programs and talking to the current fellows and finding out what kind of offers they get, they tell me all the time they get a lot of mixed mixed practice offers, primarily in the primary care field, um, almost daily. But when it comes to purely orthopedic surgery groups and um, joining that, this maybe, maybe comes once or twice a month. Um, but I, I think the way to look at the options, I mean, there's going to be offers all over the place. I, mean, I don't think that's going to be the problem. I think it's mm -hmm. just me coming up with a decision as to where I want to live. And when I do that first and then figure out, okay, so this is the location I'm looking at, then I can kind of see and pick and choose and see what offers are there. Um, because otherwise, I'll be probably getting offers from everywhere, and then, you know, it's going to be a whole another process of just figuring out what I want. But at least I can try to pinpoint the region and then and then look. Probably would be a little bit helpful. Uh, yeah. I think you must feel pretty uh, relieved to finally be nearing the end of all the schooling. Oh, yeah, it's a long time coming. I'm sure you know it. You've gone through the process. Yeah, yourself, it, was, but... yeah it takes a long, it's a long time. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's been a rewarding. It has its own ups and downs, but all in all, it's. I feel like it's it's about time. <laughs> it's been, I think from the day I left for, for med school, I think it's it'll be it's 10 years plus, just a little over 10 years. Um, yeah. And that's a, that's a long time. It's a whole decade looking back at it. Can't believe it's actually been that much, much time. But yeah, long time coming. Yeah, and it's, it's exciting. And uh, so, so what do you do in your free time nowadays, ball ball? What's your favorite activities to do? <laughs> uh, I've been hitting the gym pretty frequently now. I think, I think it's one of the smartest decisions I've ever made. I I, I did do it 
quite a big back in med school, but I mean now it's more of a regular routine to the point where I feel like if I miss a day, I'm I'm, I'm losing out on something. So going to the gym is, yeah. is one of the routines I, I try to incorporate even during the busiest rotations of residency. But I think like just spending time with friends, I think is huge. I we do play basketball every now and again. Try to get some of the co-residents to play soccer or ultimate frisbee outside um, once the weather you know, usually lightens up. And it's funny because we have we have recreational sports here. I mean, we played kickball together, we played um, volleyball together, um, and just and just doing those kind of things. And then coming home, it's really hard to uh, you know do other things apart from studying sometimes. So you know you have to you have to get that in whenever you get a chance. But uh, I like to read. You know, reading books are good too. I mean, apart from medical literature, um, to kind of you know keep your mind fresh. Whenever you have to go back to the hospital, um, but yeah, it's primarily just physical activities and stuff like that. Um, I was reading, I was rereading um, Malcolm Gladwell's Blink the other day, um, but I, I huh. do like to dab in some of the spiritual leaders, like the Dalai Lama. I was reading his book, uh, and he's got a, quite a bit of a collection. Um, I was reading his uh, book called The Universe in a Single Atom, and I, huh. I, I, re- I really like it because he incorporates. He he incorporates um, looking at the world in a scientific manner, but at the same time in a spiritual manner, and he and he bring he brings both of the two together um, in in mm. kind of more practical way. And so that's a really really cool thing I like about reading his books because he's very he's very practical when he comes to trying to you know spread spread kindness and everything like that. But um, yeah, Dalai Lama, Malcolm Gladwell, and um, mm. and yeah, I'm look, always looking for. Authors are kind of in that that area to just kind of stimulate, you know, what you're reading. Have you read anything by Atul Gawande? Yeah, Being Mortal. I read that. Um, yeah. He's, I mean, he's he's really good too. Um, it's like if you don't, you ha- you have to read those books, especially if you're in this field. Uh, if you want, mm. you, you know, you realize what kind of what you're in for. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've read I've read that book. I know he's written a couple others. I still have to kind of check those out, but. I think I guess one book at a time. What do you like in Blink? Any like specific like topics that I just I just like the concept. Yeah, there was um the way he connects different um like things that you wouldn't expect. Like um he was uh, there was one paragraph about him talking about like um art critics whenever they go to a museum and they have to like critique art. You know, that's such a gray area, you know. You can't really say, oh, yeah, this is great, this is bad. There has to be – it's very subjective, you know. And so he says, you know, in his book that, like, the human the human mind has an ability to make a, a brief perception of what would be good and bad without having to fully analyze it because the brain already does it for you in microseconds, um, which kind of attests to the title of the book. He's, he's pretty – it pretty much just hinges on the fact that if you make a micro – uh, you know, decision within within that quick period of time. M- more than not, most of the time, that's the right uh, right judgment call. But you know, it's kind of like when you're taking a test or you're you're taking an exam and you sit there and you you do think you know the right answer, but then you start to second guess everything. But at the end of the mm-hmm. day, that initial gut feeling you had was the right answer to begin with. That's kind of what he really like focuses in on. It's that making those quick judgment calls without even realizing that your brain can actually analyze things a lot faster than you're consciously aware. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was a really, it was a really good, really good book. Have you, have you read it? 
Yeah, I read it a long time ago. Um, yeah, like yeah, you gotta more gotta refresh. Ago, but I mean, yeah, yeah, I remember liking it when I did read it. Yeah, really interesting. He's a good author for sure. Yeah, do you read any of his newer books? I forget what like. Um, yeah, I read um, David and Goliath. I have to reread that one. It's kind of it's been, it's been a while. Um, yeah, that that was a really good book. What is that one about? Uh, it's it's more of like the mentality of the underdog versus uh, the favorite kind of thing. But then he kind of goes on a tangent and then talks about basically a wide scope of things. But the overall theme, if you really wanted to summarize it, is kind of just what does it mean to be an underdog versus you know the basically the the Goliath um, and different and there's different uh, examples that he uses in each chapter. Hmm. It's very interesting. Thought, very thought-provoking, for sure. Hmm. Um, but yeah, now now that the boards are coming up, I have to like mitigate all that extra reading and <laughs> and yeah, sit down and just kind of yeah, whenever I get a chance. But it's tough when you're on an intensive care rotation. You want to just use your day off to sleep, which is pretty much what I've been doing all day today. <laughs> What's the pass rate on the IM test, like the the board test? Are you talking about with just the residency in particular, or just in the nationwide? Just in general, overall. Yeah, so I'm not sure about the general pass rate. I I know for our program, I think it's like in the not low 90s, 95 or something like that. But right, so probably I'm not sure. I, 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 I know everything know. already. Yeah, that's how yeah, it was. I, I took my board think... exam. I studied pretty hard. I mean, for a lot yeah. of, like the last six months, but. When I actually took the test, I realized that, like, a lot of the stuff they asked, I had already, like, kind of known. I just – there's, like, stuff I, I know, at least pathology-wise, I couldn't have really studied for concretely. Somehow I just, like, learned mm-hmm. the stuff through the process of being a resident. And mm-hmm. I wonder right. if you think it's the same thing for your test? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's it's all practical knowledge at the same time, but you also have to have good test-taking skills, too. And I think that's one thing that I'm working on a little bit more. Is it just applying all that stuff that you picked up during rotations and just putting it on paper, you know? It's just or doing a lot of questions, online. really. Yeah. I yeah, exactly. Uh, taking, answering a question is its own skill set that people, like, sometimes don't – they ignore, you know? They don't realize like, – you can have all the information in your head, but, like, just yeah. uh, the multiple choice te- – it's just itself is, like, a, a skill. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And that's, you're right. I think it's – just doing questions and questions and questions will get you there. Yeah, exactly. Um, just like doing a whole crap load of questions. So much fun studying, you know. <laughs> All not, the time. Yeah, you had it. Yeah, it's, it's really horrible. I mean, I'm so glad that I'm done with like any tests for the near future <laughs> that I have to take. Like, I think like yeah, because you're constantly taking tests with a medical, you know, to get into medical school, school then during medical school, then. The step one, step two, step three, then you have to take your board exam, then you got to take your fellowship exam, and you're, like, constantly mm-hmm. studying all the time. Like, it never ends. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. so nice when you're done with all that stuff. I mean, well, I'm you, happy you to take, you. Yeah, you got to – yeah. you yeah, it's so great. You just got to suck it up. Suck it up, man. Yeah. You had to take a, you had to take a board exam for sports medicine. Yeah, they call it the CAQ, um, something like some – I forgot what the C stands for, but it's added qualifications exam. It's primarily written by the American Board of Family Physicians, um, and I think it's something something I have to take next June. Um, 
there isn't really one book that you have to use as like your base book to study. There's quite a few things that you can cover. Um, but yeah, it's I'll be taking it next year in June, and then after that, then it's once every ten years. Yeah, hopefully they have changed. I think there's a move to change at least on our field where like rather than recertifying examinations, as long as you have regular continuing medical CME education, or something. you don't have to. Yeah, you don't have to take them, which I think makes more sense. Yeah, and that's yeah. practical too. I mean, I totally I'm on board with that. I think they were talking about that at the last conference I was at. So we'll see what happens in the next whatever time period. So, Walla, yeah, I think uh, I feel good about the podcast. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I think this was fun. I'm glad you uh, had this opportunity to do it. It It's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for, yeah, and taking the time out to do it. Um, Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, likewise. Yeah. We right, shall keep uh, in touch. All right. Definitely. Okay. okay. Uh, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good night. I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care, man. Bye. Okay. Bye.